A film critic for Financial Time named Antonia Quirk calls this film a marvelously stable thriller that squeezes you so expertly you react in all the ways it wants. Leonard Maltin makes his debut on this podcast's intros by saying the world of politics provides all the drama and satiric fodder any filmmaker could ask for. And even though the public has shown indifference to such movies in recent years, Hollywood keeps making them. And Letterboxd user TildaFan19 says, Ryan Gosling can abandon me at an abortion clinic any day. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of the Ides of March. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoof Podcast. At two starfighters. Oh. Oh, oh we're, we're going uh, Julius Shakespeare. Caesar, Shakespeare, yeah. Oh, my. Oh, my. Acting. It's the Ides of it March. It is the Ides of March. Are we releasing this on the Ides of March? Yeah. We, we are releasing. Yes, yes. This will be. Uh, Beware yes. the day that we are releasing this. Beware the Ides of this episode of Ruined Childhoods. Yeah, and welcome to Ruined Childhoods. We are, uh, you know, a, a, a brother duo who is obsessed with movies, and we like to talk about them, and we made an excuse to talk about them while recording it by uh, framing it around the idea of what we would be able to do if we had to bring back these properties as a remake, reboot, sequel, prequel, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And had to. What's that? I said, if we had if we to. we had to, yeah. We are advocates of originality. Uh, yes, but I mean, there's always uh, something well, to be I... said. And this movie that we're talking about is an adaptation from a stage play. So... Yeah, yeah. And we, we and also, uh, you know, as we've learned in the past, uh, there, you know, while the idea of uh, reviving um, a property, especially a favorite... Um, it can be can be a little iffy, but sometimes you can really create some great art out of it. I know frequently we refer back to the uh, series based on Fargo. Yeah. And who would have ever thought that you could take that movie and turn it and they did try to turn it into a series yeah. originally that was just kind of like the movie but uh you know who would have thought that you could turn it into a series that kind of functions and pays homage to the original but also has taken on a life on of its, its own. own like yeah like the fx series far but it definitely it, it pays pays homage to uh, not just fargo but like cohen brothers mm -hmm. uh the the cinematic universe of the cohen's in general but anyway the uh, you know, point point being, while we are advocates for originality, we're also advocates for originality in the realm of reboots and re I must said rebakes, reboots. Re I mean, instant rebates. Mail-in rebates. Rebates. Yeah, rebates. You know, or if you're talking of rebakes, it's maybe a twice baked uh, potato. A rebaked potato. Yeah, a remake, remake, remixed. They have you have, have has anyone really remixed a movie? That is a great question. Um, yes. I feel like yes. Oliver Stone with oh, Alexander. Who did this? Uh, I feel like it was Topher Grace. I uh, took, oh my God, what was it? Was it like, 
Was it a Star Wars thing? Uh, hold on. Topher Grace remix movie. <laughs> uh, Topher oh. Grace's Close Encounters remix. No, is that what I'm oh, thinking of? Okay. Uh, Topher Grace's Boogie Nights remix. So apparently, this is something Topher Grace. Okay, well that answers that question. What Topher? What's Topher Grace been up to? Yeah. Uh. Okay. Okay. Topher Grace edited the Star Wars prequels into one eighty-five minute movie. That's what I'm thinking of. Good for him. Yes, that's uh, great. You know, creative guy. So that is the that is a remix. That is a movie remix. There, there we go. Wow. Okay, <laughs> we'll have to pop that one into the new. Uh, intro song version 2.0 yeah. remix yeah you know yeah, um, what are we 159 episodes in you know maybe at yeah. episode uh 200 we can uh shake things up a little bit uh, who know you know what the the time is always is always ripe uh for doing such things not that you and i always have ripe time for doing no it, no but... we don't no we don't and no. uh dan this was a um an opportunity for me to uh, uh, use some of my precious time to rewatch the Ides of March. Uh, I, had you seen it before? So I had actually seen the Ides of March prior to its release in 2011. I reviewed it for a site called Pendragon's Post. Oh, okay. And I, I actually did find my <gasps> review. Oh my God. I went through my old, all my old uh, emails and and found my my review of Ides of March, and what did twenty eleven uh, I mean, Dan I'll, think of it? Wow, what did twenty eleven years 2011, ago? So twenty eleven Dan thought. Oh, hold on one second. Let me uh, let me get it open. But so I what I remember from uh, from seeing it, I remember feeling a little uh, underwhelmed by it and feeling. Uh, a bit, I, you know, I guess kind of like disappointed, like it wasn't sure what it wanted to be like thriller, satire, drama. Well, okay. So first of all, I, while you're, this was when I first while saw you're it, pulling this up, I'm going to just give a little bit of, uh, yeah. I guess backstory to it because I remember this movie, uh, because it had this, the, the great marketing move of making the poster, uh, featuring, Ryan Gosling holding up a kind of folded in half copy of Time magazine with George Clooney's face on the cover, holding it over half of his face. And this is like peak Gosling, peak George Clooney, uh, you know, Jamati Hoffman. Well, I'm just talking about like in terms oh, of, yeah. you know, celebrity superstars, you know, this was like very much a big, a big era for the two of them. And it's like, oh, you want two of the like most attractive male actors, you know, uh, on a on a poster together in in a really fun way. Great, and it was a really intriguing marketing move having the poster be that like that. And I was, you know, without really knowing anything about it, I certainly didn't know that it was, you know, adapted from a play that. I'm I was reading on Wikipedia it was the play was actually inspired by the Howard Dean campaign. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's Oh, so that's interesting. Yeah, I so did, the play you know, now, the play is called Farragut North and it was an off-Broadway play uh the debut of Bo Williman 
And it says, loosely based on former Governor Howard Dean's 2004 Democratic primary election campaign. And uh, yeah, uh, so the play is billed as a classic tale of hubris set against a contemporary landscape about the lust for power and the costs one will endure to achieve it. So uh, yeah, I mean, that pretty much rings true. And it's it's not what I necessarily expected it to be when I first saw it, but I do remember being a little underwhelmed, but I thought that it was interesting and it was, there were a lot of great performances and the writing was strong. It's just that the story wasn't, you know, very compelling. Well, it's, it's kind of hard to tell what the story, there's a, there's several stories and What's interesting? I could actually. I, it's funny. I feel like I could read my review as the as the synopsis. Oh, I don't give my synopsis because it's only like two sentences long, and then I'll, oh, and then go I'll go. It. Then we can go to yours. Is that cool? Yeah. Up and coming Democratic political strategist Stephen Myers is on the right path to delivering Governor Mike Morris to the presidential general elections, but after he makes the mistake of meeting with the opponent's campaign manager. Stephen is fired from his dream job and uses personal knowledge about a 20-year-old intern's fling with Morris to blackmail himself back on staff and in a higher position, which has lethal results. And so... Oh, yes. (laughs) You know, without going into, like, the step-by-step, like, scene-by-scene of the movie, I figured that's kind of the best way to do it. Uh, You know, not really focusing so much on the kind of romantic the budding romance between Stephen, who is 30 and the 20 year old intern who's played by Evan Rachel Wood, who's also excellent in it. And the, and the realization that she had a, an encounter with the governor and um, resulting in a pregnancy that was to be terminated. Right. And, and I would even, I would, I would hesitate to call their relationship a, a romance uh <laughs> it had it had legs to be so i mean they certainly weren't in it just for like a, a fling or something like they what well, uh, debatable i would say okay debatable well, why don't you read your, I your mean, 11 year old review yes and by the way no, written, this was written 11 years ago not when i was 11 so <laughs> uh, for those the eyes yeah, of march I mean, by daniel wiener <laughs> I, my list, look, I would have written quite a review of that. I wouldn't have understood it, but uh, okay. So here, here, here's the review. And I'm, I'm just trying not to read it in John Lovitz's voice. I listened to a podcast recently where John Lovitz was the guest. I said, if you know your Shakespeare, then you know the line from which George Clooney. Okay. No, I'm just going to read it normally. If you know your Shakespeare, then you know the line from which George Clooney's new film derives its title, The Ides of March. Spoken in the play Julius Caesar, the warning is a premonition of Caesar's betrayal by the senators of Rome. A speculative filmmaker might infer from that title that a leader in the film, most likely the potential Democratic nominee for president, fictional Pennsylvania Governor Mike Morris, Clooney. Uh, oh, and that's not even a complete sentence. All right, we'll strike one against me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Dan, I've, worry got, not, I've got notes for you. Worry not, reader, I'm not posting any spoilers without fair warning or giving away any major plot turns or twists. However, it is fair for one to assume that betrayal of some sort will enter the picture at some point. The title is only the beginning of the blunt metaphor, symbolism, and illusion that run through the film. 
The central plot of the story focuses on Morris's assistant campaign manager, Stephen Myers, Ryan Gosling, an idealistic, extremely confident 30-year-old who can charm everyone from his colleagues to the press. As he and the senior campaign manager, Paul Zara, Philip Seymour Hoffman, prepare Morris for the Ohio Democratic primary, he becomes involved with a pretty young intern, Molly Stearns, Evan Rachel Wood, who is also the daughter of a high-up Democrat, actually, the, like the leader of the Democratic yeah, the uh, National Committee. Yeah. So, yeah, needless to say, things don't remain as uncomplicated as they both would like, and Stephen is forced to make some difficult choices regarding both his personal life and the campaign. Actually, difficult choices are a constant theme of the Ides of March. Stephen is torn between Governor Morris's campaign and working for his competitor, the Democratic Senator Pullman from Arkansas, who is very close to Morris in the polls. He is torn between his loyalty to Zara and the tempting offer from Pullman's campaign manager, Tom Duffy, Paul Giamatti. He is torn between his affection for Molly and his dedication to Morris, and most crucially, he is torn between his own personal ideals and helping to make the country a better place, even if it means engaging in the type of cover-ups and politicking that he thought he'd be immune from working for a man such as Morris. That type of man is a man very similar to Barack Obama, the Barack Obama we all remember from the 2008 campaign trail, but perhaps even more liberal. He's not just pro-gay marriage. He doesn't even think the issue should be up for debate. He's against the death penalty. He's pro-choice. He's anti-war. In short, he's a liberal's wet dream. He's the 2008 Obama, but even better. And for the first part of the film, I even thought that it was unofficially Obama's first campaign ad for 2012. In the eyes of liberal staffers like Stephen, he has to win. Among the many big questions asked here concern the place of ideals in politics. At the beginning, Stephen is a bright-eyed optimist backing the perfect candidate and believing in him wholeheartedly. When he finds out that Morris may not be the perfect man, he seems betrayed and lost not knowing whether to follow his personal morals or put them aside for the good of the country. The same goes for the disappointments he finds among his other idealized colleagues, Zara and Stearns. In the end... Stephen's ethical journey ends up making this just as much of a coming-of-age story as a political film. As a political film, it comes at an interesting time as America is gearing up for next year's election. The attitude of the film towards politics is not exactly something we've never heard before, but it comes with an especially pessimistic tone. Basically, we are to believe that backstabbing and secret deals are commonplace, and there is a constant game of one-upsmanship played by those on both sides. Oh, so naive. <laughs> uh, like an 11-year-old. And in this story, it's Democrat versus Democrat. The Republicans are only mentioned in reference to how well they played the game and how it wins them elections. This isn't necessarily what the country needs right now, as we are already quite distrustful of politicians. However, it's also a bit heavy-handed, especially during the second half of the film, when the tone changes from satirical to more dramatic, and at times even thriller-esque, so much so that some scenes feel like they might have been taken from a John Grisham novel. <gasps> Almost done. Sweaty Inevitably, love. the... <laughs> Inevitably, the uh, that's who was missing from this, Oliver Platt. All right. <laughs> Inevitably, the Ides of March will be compared to other political films that have come before it, as well as Aaron Sorkin's definitive political TV series, The West Wing. It feels like Clooney and his collaborator, Grant, Grant Haslov, were going for a Sorkin-esque vibe, especially during the idealistic first half of the film, but without the frenetic pace. Then perhaps they were aiming for the satirical tone of David Mamet's sharp wag the dog, but falls short of the admirable cleverness of that script. 
The third film I found myself comparing this to was Mike Nichols' thinly-veiled Bill Clinton film Primary Colors, which also features an idealistic young staffer discovering the fallibility of a candidate in whom he has placed his belief. It still falls short of that film's wit, which came from an incredibly sharp adaptation by Elaine May. This film, George Clooney's third directorial effort, is not a bad one. It's not a great one, though. Clooney gives a fine performance as Morris, and Gosling gives his third strong performance this year, though this will most likely stand as the least memorable film he's been in in comparison with the great romantic comedy, Crazy Stupid Love, and the excellent noir thriller, Drive. The supporting cast is good, though Wood's role feels a bit underwritten, and Jeffrey Wright and Marissa Tomei only pop up here and there. The performances to watch this film for come from, unsurprisingly, Hoffman and Giamatti as the dueling campaign managers, making one wonder what kind of film Clooney might have made if the focus was on the political chess game played between these two wily veterans rather than the familiar debate over morals and ideals in politics. We can only hope that this won't be the last time we see Giamatti and Hoffman on screen together. In the end... The Ides of March is a good movie, but not nearly as good as it should be with its combination of director, cast, and subject matter. Okay. It's some of, yeah, I know. Like some of that feels very naive, especially the part about, oh, well, it's like they want us to believe that this happens all the time. Well, you know, <laughs> and, and what's interesting about that <laughs> is that there's a lot that I was noticing in this movie that comes back a couple years later when House of Cards comes out, you know. Uh, Which is Bo Willimon. Oh, is it really? Yeah, I didn't the, realize yeah, that. Uh, okay, so that makes a ton creator, of sense. Uh, I believe the, the, the creator. Okay, that makes of, a ton uh, of sense because yeah. uh, when I was watching it, I was I had to look up, I was like, what year did House of Cards come out? And it was 2013 because it's like, Oh, it's all about the inner workings and the the back dealings that happen in in uh, D. Well, I mean DC well, and but, the dirty, dirty, dirty shit that happens. Yeah, and uh, you the know, dirty, and dealings. a lot of the things like what's what they're really doing in Ohio while they're campaigning is also trying to woo, you know, Jeffrey Wright's character, who's he's a senator. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, he's a senator, yes. uh, you know, in Ohio, and if they get his endorsement, then they essentially take Ohio. But in order to do that, they have to offer him a secretary of state, which, uh, well, if I may, you may, if I may, uh, so it, it's not so they have to offer him vice president. I don't remember that the other the other campaign has offered him secretary of state. I don't remember hearing anything about vice president. He says president. he says I want on the ticket. Oh. He says I don't remember he that. says to he says to Gosling when they when they meet he he says he's like I want on the ticket because cuz he's already got from the from the uh opponent's campaign he's got sec- they've offered him secretary of state and he's going to put his endorsement behind the the opponent mm. uh whose whose name I'm I'm Pullman blanking on at the moment. Uh Pullman, yeah. yes, thank you. Uh I keep wanting to say Sullivan for some reason. No, it's not. So uh but but yeah, he um so the senator has already been offered uh Secretary of State and he's gonna put his endorsement because there's the whole thing where Stephen finds this out because Stephen goes and has a, a meeting 
with uh, Tom Duffy. Right. Paul Giamatti's character, the opponent's yeah. uh, campaign manager. During which Duffy tells him, he's like, no, we've we've got Thompson. Like, Thompson is giving us his endorsement. And that's kind of, I mean, I mean and, and you know what? Maybe it's not true, but I'm pretty sure that when they, I'm pretty sure that they do confirm that. Um, and, and then, yeah, cause I remember they, they have a, they have a conversation, Thompson and, uh, and Steven where, where he, he's telling them he's, he's like, I, I want on the ticket. You don't, uh, you I know, think I've you, got that clip you, pulled. Why don't we listen to it? You need me? Yeah. That's what I'm hearing since Super Tuesday. All of a sudden I'm a very popular guy. <laughs> what are you post telling you? That Pullman's negatives are high, mid-40s. Senator, we have an open seat in the White House. The Republicans have Dick. They're disorganized. They can't find a nominee. That's not a world-class fuck-up. They look like Democrats. <laughs> no Republican's going to show up to vote for their guy. But if Pullman gets a Democratic nod, they will show up to vote against him. And you think they won't for your guy? You think Morris gets into the independence? I sure do. Senator, I'm a bit confused. We need your delegates. We need you. Your fundraising. And I guess <laughs> it was my understanding that your endorsement a week for Ohio would win this for us. Uh, I guess that's as much as I pulled. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't happen in oh, that conversation. Okay, okay. It's it's later. It's when Stephen. Oh, okay. It's it's when Stephen. It's when it's after Stephen has been fired mm. from the Morris campaign. Uh and it, it's after Stephen has gone to Duffy, and Duffy has turned him down. Right. Meanwhile, no one knows what he knows. He's playing his cards really, you know really close and uh you know because because at this point steven knows that governor morris uh you know slept with an intern right. got her pregnant and then that that and that also which is steven kind of does it's funny because steven get, gets the money for molly in 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 a really shady way where he talks to ben who's played by max Mangella, right. who's the other he's the Even other the even younger one, and he's also the other man that Molly's been seeing. Oh, has she been seeing him? I don't remember that. When she goes, when she, I think when she comes back from the clinic, mm -hmm. and she goes, she's in his room. Oh, like, it's yeah. Like, I mean, I thought I kind of viewed that as just them being peers. No, mm. no, no. They they definitely had a thing going on, be, and you could see it. It's subtle, but it's first. First, it's the way it's the way that he talks to her, in that like it's a it it like he talks to her the way that you would tell your girlfriend that you got a promotion. And he's like, oh yeah, and because it, it's funny when the scene when Paul fires Stephen, they're in this room, and Ben is kind of sitting in the yeah. same. They're in this. They're in a hotel suite. Ben is sitting in the same room with them, and then when it's obvious what's going on, Ben gets up, but he doesn't leave. He just moves to an, to the other like side of the suite, right? And is he just isn't is sitting listening. right there with them? You also see his expression during um, 
uh, well, Molly's like the press conference after Molly dies. Mm-hmm. Ben's expression is very like shocked, taken aback because she also kills herself in his room. That's true. Yeah. I thought she's that that like, was I so thought that that was her room. No, no. because no. Uh, Morris uh, asks um, Stephen, like, what were you doing in her room? We don't have to oh. debate this. Hmm. I thought that it was just hers, and then you know he just popped by to be like, "Oh, that's yeah, oh yeah, that that's right." He does, and and he's not like it wasn't my, it wasn't her room. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. You're, but any, anyway, um, it doesn't I, matter. I, I'm the point is I'm I'm going to say with fair certainty that Ben is the implied like actual boyfriend. You know, I hadn't gotten that sense. I don't think that it really matters though. No, it it doesn't. Except that it it matters. It 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 matters in the way that Molly's portrayed, and I think that that role, that character, is. I mean, she's very much. It's like a. She's very much a a pawn, and I'm not saying that it's not realistic, right? But the character is very much written as you know, less of a person, more of what she represents because she's the daughter of this high ranking Democrat, but she's also like an intern. So she doesn't, so she like comes across as like, not, you know, I quote unquote democratic royalty. Uh, uh she, yeah, I mean, sure. No, she, I mean, she comes across, she's, you know, she's, but the in, the intern. I don't remember, um, Steven, Ryan Gosling's character, necessarily knowing that right away about her. No. That no, yeah, he doesn't. That that's revealed. I mean, she reveals that to him and he's kind of taken by surprise. So it's not like she's walking around like everybody knows. No, that's yeah. what I'm saying. She's she's not. So it's like there, there, I think that's what I'm saying. There could be more nuance with her character, whereas her character is really and then plus you have it where um, like I don't think they, I I, I feel like it act, it might have been a little better had they stayed away from the implication of her being with Ben, which I guess you I didn't, didn't get that at all. Pick up on yeah. that, and I don't know that I picked up on that the first time I saw it, but when I watched it this last time, it just seemed really. Uh, I, I saw them mostly as peers, as if there. like she worked, like as if he was maybe the one who coordinated the interns and volunteers i mean either that or he wanted or he wanted to yeah be with maybe. her it also it also feels like he wouldn't have had so like it, it's funny because with ben and with, if you take these three men as you take the three if you take them as the three men uh in molly's life it's these three stages of experience and also being jaded where there's if, if you think of ben ben like seems to have like a genuine affection for her especially the way he's affected by her death and that is that that innocence that night naivete uh steven is not he doesn't lie to her he's very upfront with her about like okay this is what this is and they even have a playful thing where he's like oh that was the cleaning lady right and she sends him the note yeah. so it's kind of like they have a playful thing how, going on yeah they have a playful thing. That's that's what I that's why I shied away from from referring to it as a romance because it feels like they kind of both know what's up. Yeah, but I I saw it as more of just like a 
on the sly romance because they were having a drink together in the hotel bar. It's not like people couldn't have seen them, you know, together. No, that's that's true. At 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 the intern's, at the intern's hotel. hotel bar, which is you know, it doesn't matter. Hotel. Yeah, who sees them? If an intern sees them, it's even better for the intern. So, right. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I I don't know. I liked the. But then you, I liked. I was gonna say I liked the chemistry that they have together. Um, uh-huh. they have a really fun dynamic, and I think that because of her family, she doesn't seem intimidated by the fact that he is much higher up on the totem pole than she is. And I I don't know. I think that it's it kind of plays in nicely to how things go. But I'm sorry, I, and to, sorry to come back to that like that three step build up of uh, going from Ben to Stephen to then Morris. Morris is cold when Stephen confronts him about. Sure, it. it's really fun because you get the impression that Morris is just this like do good guy. He doesn't want to play games. He even says like, "Oh, Thompson wants." Secretary of State or whatever. And he's like, it's not going to happen. Find another way to get Ohio. And it's like, he's not there to like play dirty. He's there because he truly believes in the things that he's saying. And then I'll play the clip. You get this scene uh, towards the end. I took her phone and I found a note. I thought it was an accident. I don't know, Mike. You're going to have to tell me you're the last person she called. Note says she's pregnant, got an abortion, and doesn't want to hurt you. Then why would she leave a note that could only do that? She's 20. What do you want? Paul's gone today. I set a meeting with you and Thompson, and you promise him the ticket. You get 356 pledged delegates. You get North Carolina. You take office, and you make right what so many people have made wrong. All the things that we both believe in. Well, I don't believe in extortion. I don't believe in tying myself to you for the next eight years. Four years. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. (sighs) What were you doing in her room? Housekeeping before you made page one. No, you were fired. You were out. What were you doing in her room? I was fixing a situation. I got a call. Someone from the hotel thought I could help, and they called me. So you were off the campaign, but you thought it was important to fix things? It was your voice the other night on the phone. You were fucking her. What'd you do, Stephen? I lent her some money, and I gave her a ride. I bet you did. There's no note. Okay, Mike, there's no note. Show it to me. You think I brought it here? That's how people get hurt. Okay, let's play this out. You're not wearing a wire because everything you suggested is illegal and you wouldn't fare too well in federal prison. You were fucking her and she told you about her situation. There are no records or conversations between the two of us and since she's had an abortion, there's no DNA evidence. So if there's no note, then it's your word against mine. Your word. 
a fired, disgruntled employee or a sitting governor. There's no note. It's your call, Governor. Yeah. Man, you don't often get to you don't often get sinister Clooney. No, and In I fact, think that it helps that he's directing himself because <laughs> no one else will direct him that way. <laughs> no, yeah, it, it's interesting because he's very good at it. And it's something so I, I liked this movie more second go around. I like yeah. this movie more this time around. I think I agree. I agree with that. And and I wonder for me personally, if it's because, you know, after the past 11 years, there's a lot that's happened. So uh, yeah. I think that, you know, we've all become a little bit more politically minded. And uh, I don't know, though, the landscape of politics has changed so much that it was definitely intriguing to go back to what I would call a simpler time where there's like no Republican who could possibly win. And it's all about the Democrat. And I, at least in the, in the fiction of this story, you know, we all, you know, know how history ended up, but uh, I don't know. It just kind of like harkens to a, a, a different time, a different vibe politically. So it almost felt right. fantasy. Yeah. Well I mean, interestingly, I feel like a lot of people had that feeling in in 2016, uh, yeah, or earlier, earlier on, especially where it was, oh, well, like, oh boy, the, the, the like that we've got two Democrats kind of clawing at each other, Hillary and Bernie, and and then over on the Republican side, especially like towards the beginning of the year in 2016. Uh, I mean, like Paul Ryan, uh, oh my God, yeah. you know, Trump was kind of the outlier. And anyway, not to make this about that. Right. But, no, of course. Uh, but yes, but also, and then also you have in, in 2011, like you're still in the early years of smartphones. Yeah. So you don't necessarily have like all of the, like you've got Twitter, you've You've got these things, but they're not as influential. Like Facebook isn't in 2011 is not yet like this massive, like misinformation uh, minefield. Yeah. Uh, So like none of that is is a factor in it. Um, But it's it's interesting because I feel like you there is that question of the ideals and what do you sacrifice in the name of the greater good? And it's like, yes, Morris is a, and you realize this, he's a manipulative asshole, right. but like, don't you want some, do you want someone like that on your side? Because if he's a, the manipulative asshole, who's going to manipulate uh, you know, marriage equality and, um, you know, like healthcare and push all of these progressive, uh, you know, missions forward all of, and pursue all of the, all of like this progressive legislation. 
I mean, isn't that who we want? Like they say it in the movie, it's been echoed like ever since louder and louder that the the Republicans play the game better. Yeah. Well, I think that what they, what they do successfully in this movie is eliminate any of your thoughts about what's going on on the other side of the aisle. You know, it's like, it doesn't matter what's going on with the Republicans. That's, Nope, not a, that's not I, an issue. It's only I about it's only about Ohio. It's only about this, <laughs> and it's like uh, whoever gets Thompson's in, endorsement is who's going to get the ticket, and whoever gets the ticket is probably going to win. Especially as they're saying, if it's Morris, because he's more likely to appeal to the independents, and so at least in the in the fiction of this movie, and it's. It simplifies things and it just makes it like that's not important. What's more important is the, you know, the the moves that are being made within this particular campaign and the the lies and the secrecy that are going on. And I don't know. Um the it's the Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Go, go ahead. No, no, no. What were you gonna say? No, it's it's a story. It's about it's about values. I think another thing that's helped me uh, like uh, appreciate this film is not is first of all, I watched it in like I think like three in, in installments. Okay. So having having being able to take the time uh, with kind of, with each each installment also having, you know, since then spent, uh, you know, uh, much of the last 10 years uh, teaching about literature and analyzing literature. Like, I feel like I see a lot more of, of the, the big picture in this story. And I see much more of the purpose. Whereas when I saw it initially, all I had to go off of was like the clever marketing campaign. Right. My right. my knowledge of Clooney's uh, directorial work prior to this, which actually I never saw Leatherheads, so was it was pretty Leatherheads much good night this? and good luck. Leatherheads was before this. So, okay, there was Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Right. Oh, okay. So maybe Can, Leatherheads there was Confessions was not of a Dangerous this, Mind, but... Good Night and Good Luck, right? Both of which I saw. Yeah, which I, I loved. I mean, I, I feel like uh, Confessions oh, yeah. of a Dangerous Mind is... Is up there for oh, me so for good. sure. Oh no, Leatherheads is before this. It's Leatherheads is two two thousand eight, and he did do Good Night and Good Luck, right? Yeah, yeah. So this was actually so this was his fourth. Oh man, uh, we're gonna have to make. I'm gonna have to leave a comment on that website that you wrote the review on and be like, um, actually, look, I was eleven. What did I know? <laughs> uh, um, no, it, it, it's it's. Uh, I, I feel like I just I ca- I noticed a lot more and the and the the questions of ideals and values and the fact that does it in the, the for the big picture should the average voter care that Mike Morris uh, impregnated an intern and inadvertently led to her suicide right. that one person that one person whose face and name he knows when he can help uh, positively impact the lives of millions of strangers. Yeah. So it's, it's like, what should Steven care about? What should the average voter care about? They really, uh, they really 
do it do a great what uh, do a great job with that. I thought they I think uh, Ryan Gosling does a great job of of showing you like what he's thinking like at at one point because I also I hadn't remembered a lot of it so I couldn't remember I was like oh is he gonna like when he finds out about the you know there's a baby and the abortion is it the type of thing where like if this gets out he's gonna say that 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 the baby was his (laughs) um you know is he gonna like throw himself on the uh on the grenade so to speak um I mean of course that that doesn't uh turn out to happen uh it's also this double standard of like because he also tells when 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 Stephen gives him the money, gives her the money, gives Molly the money and says, like, go, you're done. It's like, oh, so his career, this guy gets to go to the White House, but she has to go home yeah. and find another job and not work in politics. Right. Although I wouldn't be too worried about her because she's got a pretty, a pretty good leg up, you know, <laughs> coming from. Well, what? No, I'm saying, yeah, in terms of privilege, yes. yes. No, it's not like she's like going to the unemployment line, but still it's 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 that message of your career doesn't matter. Right. His does. Right. Absolutely. No. And I think that there's definitely a shift because, you know, towards the beginning, it, it's almost like the moment where he gets this, like picks up this phone accidentally and hears the governor's voice calling Molly at 2.30 in the morning that's when he goes from being like, I believe in this candidate. I am so I'm like honored to be where I am and I am just happy to be here and I'm going to work as hard as I can to get this guy in the White House. And then as soon as that happens, he's thinking, oh, all of this is totally effed up. And the more he gets into it, the more he figures that out for himself. You know, he gets completely thrown under the bus by his colleague, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, who uh, leaks the information of him meeting with the opponent's campaign manager to Ida, the you know writer for the Times, and uh, that which makes it easier for him to fire him, and then he can't get the job with the uh, the the opponent because he's toxic at this point. He'd just been fired. And now he's in a point of complete desperation and he's doing some, he's becoming one of them by, you know, playing games and, uh, you know, using these kind of evil tactics against them for his own personal gain. And it's, he becomes part of the system. And he has to, he makes the choice and he gets, and, and he's warned, uh, he's warned by, by Zara, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's warned by Duffy, uh, Paul Giamatti, uh, you know, he's warned. He's like, if you get into, if you get in any deeper, like, forget it. There's, there's a point of no return. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I, and I love, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, in this, the uh, just that sense of betrayal that he right. that he carries across, and his um, the speech that he gives Stephen about why he's um, you know, like his his past and his history, and and how he and about loyalty and and uh, you know how he kind of stood by a candidate and got that candidate into office right. and that 
it's a lot of there's a lot of interesting setup where they're saying where they're showing you these are all of the paths that Stephen could follow and and you know it's it's not it's it might be a little pessimistic but it's still realistic to say okay he ends up going he knows he's like this is what my thing this is what I can do and he's also got like you know in this in this huge complicated game of poker like Stephen has got. House of Cards? House of Cards, yes. (laughs) Yes, and Steven could knock them all over. Uh, But he's got the ace up his sleeve, and it's like, well, do I choose to use this really tragic, uh, you know, story, this, you know, uh, suicide and uh, pregnancy? Do I use do I use this? And he does. Right. And he at the end, he uh, Ida is, you know, he he keeps her at a distance yep. uh, and kind of pushes her. By the way, do you think that I mean, the name I think the name Ida was was in the play Farragut North. But I I wondered I was like, Ida Ides, is that is, is that I hadn't thought about or? that, but uh, I don't know. I don't think so. The Ida's of March. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's actually an unfortunate uh, name for a character in this movie, especially, you know, it's just so on the nose. Um, but Ida Horowitz. Well, I thought maybe she was supposed to be like uh, like a Maggie Haberman um, yeah. type. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I I thought that... Marissa Tomei. I mean, Marissa Tomei is always excellent. And yes, I liked the character. It was important for that character to exist. And I feel like, you know, even though you always want to see more Marissa Tomei, she definitely was just like they they utilize that character at the right moments. Um, yeah, I don't know. And, and, you know, just going back to Philip Seymour Hoffman for a second, you know, you're talking before about Ryan Gosling's you know, year that year. And it's interesting because I feel like we have a, a very like bitter year for Philip Seymour Hoffman, you know, where it's, it's this character who, you know, is kind of just like going through the, the drudges basically. And, and eventually gets, you know, becomes victim to this, this blackmail. And, uh, he's also the, you know, the kind of disgruntled, um, you know, manager in Moneyball, and right. you know, I I don't know. He's probably is this the same year as a Charlie Wilson's War? I feel like it might be because it's after it's after Doubt. Uh, I'm I'm looking at at his film, which I mean, and man, like I Paul Giamatti and and Philip Seymour Hoffman are just like two of my two of my favorite. Yeah. Actors and so th- this year so... is Moneyball in the Ides of March. Uh, Charlie Wilson's War was earlier. Yeah, that was 2007. And then there was okay. uh, Synecdoche, New York. And then The Master was after this. Was Correct. The year after the year was 2012. After. Right. Uh, I mean, wow. Uh, <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, God, I feel like I, I, everything he does. Yeah. Everything he did. Everything he did. That's right. Was so he was just so magnetic and believable. And you're like, yes, I believe this guy. And and to see him and and Giamatti 
together. And I always, I always felt like Giamatti got kind of a raw deal in terms of being like one of the great uh, actors of, especially of the 21st yep. century. I, I, I think like you had sideways uh, and I guess Cinderella man, he got an Oscar nomination for that yeah, as well. But I always kind of felt like, you know, he probably lost a lot of roles to Philip Seymour Hoffman. That's the, that I don't, I have nothing to back that up with. Right. Yeah. Well, because like kind of that, that, you know, dad bod sad sack. Yeah. But I think that it's a matter of like, you know, that like low talking, like, listen to me, I am going to tell you some shit about some shit that Philip Seymour Hoffman can do. Paul Giamatti just can't quite do the same way. Well, Paul Giamatti, Paul Giamatti, it, there's le- it's like, oh, American Splendor. That was the other. Oh, yeah. Uh, Harvey Picard. Really yeah. fantastic performance of of his. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman could do more. Like, Paul Giamatti couldn't have played Lester Bangs. No, in, no, 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 famous. no, no, no. No. Uh, you know, yeah. Paul, I wouldn't he have couldn't bought have played, Paul Giamatti. Is it Scotty in uh, Boogie Nights? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, 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 right, it's Scotty in Boogie Nights, Dusty in Twister. Twister, yeah. Uh, there are a lot. I think I mean, he could have done Dusty actually, and Twister. I think he could have done that. Synecdoche, New York. He could have done. Well, and that's the thing is, for some reason in my mind, it was Paul Giamatti in Synecdoche, New York, and then you know revisiting it, it's like, oh no, 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 that's Philip Seymour Hoffman. Got it. Right. So yeah, he's uh, but Philip Seymour Hoffman just like uh, unreal in this, and having him facing off with, with Paul Giamatti, I just I got like actor jitters. Yeah, and this is an amazing cast. It's so right. Good. Yeah. No. 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 And, and, got, and I, hey, I mean, and just like you said, right, Jeffrey Wright, who's uh, and you know hotter than ever right now. He's you know Commissioner Gordon. Jeffrey and Jeffrey Wright, is, I mean, sadly, like Jeffrey Wright represents, I think, the extent of the diversity in this cast. No, that's true. Um, but I mean, you go, you look at his career, and I oh. mean, I was always a fan of Basquiat. You know, he was so good in that. And uh, that was the first thing I remember. Se- I think probably I, I most remember, people. I, me too. Right, but but I don't I don't know that most people knew of him before Basquiat. Right. Like I felt like even that, even though that came out during like the indie movie sure. boom. Uh, it was a movie that that flew a little bit further under the radar. I love Basquiat. Yeah. I watched it several it's times. So good. Uh, um, awesome cast in that. Uh, but Jeffrey Wright, uh, Basquiat, Shaft uh, as the uh, drug kingpin, Peoples Hernandez. I haven't talked about Shaft in a long time. Uh, and then you know, going. Don't worry, I won't go. Going off back to Philip Seymour Hoffman and Philip Seymour Hoffman's last roles in the, uh, um, oh. What is it called? Hunger Games movies. Jeffrey writes in those too. So that's right. Wow, I keep forgetting. Female Philip Seymour Hoffman was right. That that was those were his last. Yeah, he was like the architect or whatever it was. You know, in the Hunger Games films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And right, and Jeffrey Wright is. I mean, Jeffrey Wright pops up. He's in the Bond, the the Daniel Craig Bond films. Felix. I'll, yeah, feel play of course iconic uh, iconic role in that. Yeah, he's you know later. I'm I'm always happy to see him. Yes, yes, absolutely uh, versatile as as all get out. Uh, he does the soft spoken thing well, but that's the other thing I love about ba- Basquiat is he's it, it's out there. It's it, if you're a fan of Jeffrey Wright, yeah. if you enjoy his work, you watch like Westworld or right, anything, yeah. and you've never seen Basquiat. Well, check I've, that oh, shit God, out. So good. Uh, okay, but we yeah. need to uh, kind of 
move on in to the uh, the meat and potatoes of the show, or I guess I should call this the dessert of the show. The meat and potatoes is really the, the first hour. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Dan, like, what in the world could you possibly do with a movie like this? Well, uh, uh, you know, I mean, of course, it's like as you're watching it, if you're not already thinking, oh, this is based on a play, you're thinking of how you would stage it as a play, or at least I I did uh, as I was watching it before I then was like, oh, yes, that's right. It's it based was on a play. play. Yeah. Um, so it, I was thinking about like, OK, how would you stage it? Like, could you stage it where you have a section of the stage that just shows like kind of at all times, like what Molly is doing <laughs> and just have it be like from where she's just like an intern at her desk to and like because the the in, one of one of the interesting uh, things about the the sequence in which she you know at the end of which she's found dead is that uh so steven steven doesn't pick her up from the abortion clinic because he goes after he drops her off this is after he gets fired and he goes to duffy and is doing all of these things there's all this stuff going on it's not just like he doesn't just go to a bar right. and get drunk no. and forget to pick her up i mean look i'm gonna go on the record and say there's no good reason to uh, neglect picking somebody up from something yeah. like yes. that. So, but uh, I think to see all of that action happen on stage when you've got this little portion of the stage that's just like lit by like one one little light that just shows all her waiting in, in the coffee shop, for her standing outside, her getting back to the room, her... Because because that's the thing is we don't see these the people that are pawns in political games. We don't we don't see that. So and then it's like, oh, it's based on a play. So maybe I could re like read the play and yeah. do that. But and you'd lose all that wonderful eye acting on stage. But I thought it would be. Do we have a story that real? I mean, and yes, like primary colors is kind of the perspective of of an intern. But I'm like. I, I'd be interested to see a a story from the perspective of a character like Molly. Uh-huh. Maybe not in this story, but a similar political story. I would like what what does like what is the inter if the intern if she is sleeping with someone why is she you know why is she sleeping with them if she is you know refusing to sleep with someone i mean also like the other things beyond sleeping i'm taking the issues that are at play in this in this story but also saying why is she working on the campaign what are her goals i would it be interesting to have someone like a, a, a molly type character who the you know the older more experienced people in the game are treating her like a a molly as in this movie but what if she's really more of a i guess molly more like a molly's game uh you know a uh no but i'm thinking like what if she's just a, in this she's not portrayed as a player no and what if she is a player 
Like, what if she, like, what if she is a, you know, someone who's like, I know what it takes in the game of politics and I'm going to do that. What if, what if she's the type of character who is not going, if she gets pregnant, she's going to go and, and just like that. It's okay. You know, like she's going to deal with, like, she's just going to, she's going to fuck it. I don't need anyone to drive me there or pick me up. And okay. I'm not saying that th- this character should have done that. Right. I'm saying that I don't know if we've had that story before. We've had the story from the perspectives of the power players. Right. What about a story from the perspective of of someone who actually wants to to do yes. this with their life? For someone who's like, oh my god, yes, the scheming, the tricks, the games, the three dimensional chess, the yeah. poker. I'm. I want to I want to build that house of cards and live in that shit. So what about that? What about that story? And I don't think it works as a play. It might not work as a movie. It might like it might work as a series. Uh-huh. And I, I mean, like we've got we, we we've got so many political series and there's so many like, you know, newsroom kind of comes from the angle of up-and-comers we have so many stories of the up-and-comers but why don't we even go like lower Uh (laughs) lower than that and and really see like okay people who are getting into this at the beginning they can't all just be these like blind like like naive optimists who are just who, who you're just like oh poor thing you are gonna have your heart broken make them the heartbreaker sure yeah. yeah. Okay. Off topic, a Tom Petty biopic would be lovely now that I mentioned Heartbreaker, <laughs> but um that's neither here nor there. Okay. So that's what so I think so that's that's uh where I'm going here is let's take the political drama and uh see it from from a new from a new perspective. Gotcha. John, what say you? I was thinking that it would be really cool to see an adaptation of this as a graphic novel. Um, and to kind of go on in a series of graphic novels about the inner workings of different campaigns and the the different things that go on, you know, behind closed doors, uh, the the trickery, the blackmail. What's up? Like real campaign? No. Oh. No. Oh, I thought that would be really uh, interesting, like a graphic novel about like that. What I mean, I don't know what went on on the Howard Dean campaign, but like, I think that that's where you get into some really tricky territory because I'm sure that there's a lot of things that, you oh. know, is just speculation or, you know, there's more to the story than you would possibly know. And for it to be a a full story, you'd have to just go into fiction. But yeah. um. I don't know. So yeah, I was thinking that a, that a series of graphic novels would be kind of cool. Be I don't know what the world of graphic really... novels is like in terms of like politics if they if it goes there much. Yeah. But that's what I got. Political graphic novel. I'm I'm looking I'm looking at I know up. I, I mean, could I'm hear sure you typing. Like... <laughs> yeah. Okay. So <laughs> so that's what I've got. Um it, it's I, I don't know. There's not really too much more to say. I think that this story is a really fascinating story and you could really, I don't know, fine tune 
the the characters in in the graphic novel form in a in a way that you would be able mm. to get if you had to like cast somebody and i mean not to say like this movie was fantastically cast i mean ryan gosling was excellent in it evan rachel wood was excellent uh george clooney was excellent and as we were saying before i really appreciated that he chose to dem- to show himself as not a great guy and that is you know a side of him that we so infrequently get to see and and i'm glad that he did that and you know we know george clooney's personal politics and he doesn't shy away from it in the movies that he you know directs you know good night and good luck being a a great example uh i can't speak too much about uh you know leatherheads or confessions of a dangerous mind in terms of politics because those don't go there but you know um but I will say I, I admire what I've seen of his. I, I remember seeing Leatherheads when it came out and not loving it. But uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind is one of my favorite movies. It's fantastic. I movie. mean, Sam Rockwell uh, as Chuck Barris. Forget it. Oh yeah, uh, it, I mean, yeah, it's outstanding, outstanding movie. We don't. Uh, I I can't start off on. That's one I need to rewatch. You know, okay. Uh, Confessions of a Dangerous a Mind is based on. The uh, the autobiography that Chuck Barris wrote that nobody can confirm because it's about how he, the host of the Gong Show and whatever, uh, match the Match Game, game um, was all, was a CIA operative and would use the trips that he would chaperone from people on the Match Game to follow out uh, CIA <laughs> covert operations. <laughs> It's fascinating. It is. I want to read the book at yeah. some point, but man, the movie is a trip. It's a trip. Drew Barrymore, and Sam Rockwell, Julia Roberts, Julia Roberts, uh, Clooney, and uh, George Clooney. Yeah, and it's it's wonderful. It's so good. But in terms of so, in terms of the Ides of March, though, and maybe this is a movie that uh, you know, if you saw it then and had kind of the similar reaction to me, like eh, it has its moments. It's it's. It's worth checking out. I'm not just because, not just because, like, oh, it does. It might play better watching it on the, you know, watching it at home. Uh, it in with the perspective of the last ten or so yeah. years, it's it's definitely, I think, a different movie, especially if if you've been if you've followed politics and if you've become more polit- politically aware. Sure. As John and I have, or uh, you know, over the last decade, it, it's a um, you know, it's an interesting movie, and also just like you know, it, you miss Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, it's a great performance to, from one of the greats. Because you can, I mean, you know, you you can you miss Paul Giamatti. You can you can catch him on Billions and doing very similar type of. <laughs> type of work um to this and you know ryan gosling is certainly still working and george clooney and they're all you know still still with us and marissa tomei and marissa of course marissa tomei yeah which by the way speaking of marissa tomei and philip seymour hoffman uh if we do ever talk about this movie i'm sure it it might be a while but uh before the devil knows you're dead so that's an intense movie uh, that is an intense movie. That might be my favorite Ethan Hawke performance. 2006? Nine? Really? Eight, six, seven, somewhere around seven, there. eight. Somewhere, yeah, it's somewhere around there. It's Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, uh, Albert Finney, mm-hmm. I believe, is in it as as well. 
uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Ethan Hawke. They they are brothers who are they're up to no good. And uh, this is before brothers could pass their time by by hosting a podcast. <laughs> they uh, yeah they they rob their uh, parents' jewelry store. Right. And Marissa Tomei is like Philip Seymour Hoffman's own wife or or girlfriend in it. And uh, yes, there is a Philip Seymour Hoffman Marissa Tomei sex scene. It's something. Glorious. It's something. But yeah, intense movie, uh, but very good. Highly recommended. So if you're looking, if you're like, I miss Philip Seymour Hoffman, um, that's one to definitely go back and, and look at as well. So Dan, I've been trying to find a way to weasel in the title of our next movie throughout this episode, but it's impossible. So why don't you just tell everybody? Oh, well, oh, well, sorry, because, uh, oh, yes, I'm sorry. We could go back. And uh, so once they catch wind of- Was Philip Seymour Hoffman going... going to inherit his parents' jewelry store? Well, no, it's actually that Stephen inherits Philip Seymour Hoffman's job once Morris gets catches wind of- uh, of uh, Thompson Thompson's desire to take the vice presidential position on the ticket. So yes, it is 1960s film adaptation, also uh, based on a stage play, "Inherit the Wind." Yes, starring Spencer Tracy and uh, not just Spencer Tracy, Spencer Tracy, Dick York, yeah, uh, Gene Kelly, and Frederick. March. Right, because we're doing an entire month of vaguely March-themed movies. <laughs> if we can make the connection, it's it's happening. That's but right. the Wind, and also, and, and John and I have talked about this, you know, offline, and we'll talk about it next week as well. But especially um, with the advent of a lot of um, uh, freedom restricting legislation uh, uh, across the country, especially when it comes to education, uh, whether that is education about systemic racism or um, the existence of LGBTQI plus uh, people. uh, Inherit the Wind is a a story well worth talking about. Absolutely, yeah. So... Um, looking, looking forward to um, to discussing that film. Well, Dan, as you are running for president, I wish you a good journey. Good journey. Some say you never know. It's easy come, it's easy go. Some say they knew it from the start. Some say the end is nigh, that no one will.